Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a man who um, I've been looking forward to interviewing for a long time just because of his take on the multifamily space. I think it's very, very realistic and uh, we'll, we'll obviously get into the details, but uh, I'm always in awe of people that went to schools like NYU and Georgetown and, and you know, we're Wall Street guys because I'm all, they're always guys that are so much smarter than me. And so that's this guy. He is the founder of Life Changing Capital out of Houston. He is none other than Ryan Nunes. Ryan, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know what? My first question is this. Did I pronounce your last name right? Uh, it's it's pronounced Nunes. Um, phonetically, it would be like N-E-W-N-E-S-S is, is correct. But like I say, uh, I've been called many worse things. So it's, it's, it's no problem. Well, how, how many people get the pronunciation right on the first try? Uh, uh, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> if he did, I would be like, wow, this is, uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. That is funny. All right. Well, you know what? Look, I, you know, you've got an impressive background, but before we get into the fun business stuff, where did Ryan start out in life? Where, where are you from? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small town called Cranberry, New Jersey, which is right outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Um, great um, upbringing. My parents were extremely supportive. Um, you know, I like to say that uh, they didn't really care what I did. They just like, hey, just come back by 11, make sure you don't get hurt or lost or, or kidnapped. And so that taught me a lot. Um, they were always there for, um, you know, basically like refereeing on the sidelines. Hey, go have fun, go play. What do you want to do? What sport? What instrument? Fully supportive, attend the games, but um, you know, just really, I think that brought out a lot of self motivation myself because it was like a blank canvas for anything I did. It was like whatever you want to do, you can figure it out. And then I ended up going to Georgetown University, did my undergrad in finance. Um, international business and minored in French, and then um, started uh, rubbing shoulders with folks at NYU when I was doing my MBA, and that got me onto Wall Street and uh, did that for a number of years in commodities. Which you know they talk about real estate being cyclical. I think you know real estate uh, commodities is probably five times as cyclical as uh, as real estate. And so you know that that uh, it's been it's been a great transition though from commodities to real estate, and I think you know having the whether you want to say humility or awareness that markets can um you know it could be a perfect day outside and all of a sudden storm clouds come and you know I've seen that time and time again in my career and so um you know we we you know look for those things we try to you know risk manage around those things and uh, try to be you know humble enough to realize that um you know there's people that say people never lose money in real estate and you know I could give you a number of stories of people that have lost money or will lose money in real estate. So it was this near a place called in, in going back to Cranberry. Is there a Cranberry Lake? There, there is a lake in the middle of town. And so that, uh, you know, the town is, is famous for two reasons. One, George Washington had tea there. And second, um, as we, you know, remember September 11th and the plane that went down 
over Pennsylvania. Um, I believe that was headed towards Washington, D.C. And there was a gentleman by the name, very brave gentleman by the name of Todd Beamer, who um, lived in Cranberry that, uh, you know, was talking on the phone with the operator and said, hey, let's let's roll. And, you know, that gentleman is is from Cranberry. So very proud of, uh, you know, the town I came from. It's very small, but you know, a huge hero that uh, that that originated from there that saved you know many many lives. You know what? I I remember that guy. After your stint on Wall Street, where you were you know you know clearly very successful, you got into the multifamily space. You know, a few years ago, why did you make that move? Why did you move out of the Wall Street you know position, and why multifamily real estate? Yeah, so a few things were going on, and you know, I had been at a, a very prestigious investment bank, and um, you know, they had decided to exit commodities, and it had been this period where they, a month before, were on Bloomberg saying, "Hey, we're all in. Deutsche Bank just exited, and we're going to pick up market share." And then when they exited a month later, it was shocking. I was actually on on a two week, what we call block leave, where you don't have access, you can't have access to your cell phone and, and, you know, just a number of things can't talk with people on the desk. And I was shocked, you know, on vacation, I get a call from uh, my colleague and saying, Hey, you won't believe this, but they're closing the business. And then after that, I thought about, okay, well, I can continue doing commodities or I can do something else. So that was the first decision point. I went the commodities path after that because I explored other things and people said, you're really good at commodities. They're paying you well, keep doing that. So then the next stage was, hey, you know, you have an opportunity to run sales for another investment bank. And I did that. And they had gotten out of the business. We're getting back in. We crushed it in, in the three-year period I was there. And then they decided to exit the business again. Um, and then it was another decision point of, do you want to do commodities or do something else? And then you know someone threw a pretty attractive two-year guaranteed bonus at me. And it was, it was like, you can't pass this up. So did that. That was a pretty short stint. And it was like, hey... Now's the time you've been wanting to really pivot. You know, each time you look back and you've seen changes in the commodity space and, you know, wanting to do something really that, that touched upon three motivating factors for me. One is, you know, what could I do that would impact people? Two, what could I do that would apprentice my children? They're 10 and 12 now, but something that I could hopefully pass off to them or teach them, whether business skills, um, real life examples. And then, um, Thirdly, what would be good for my transferable skills, something that I could be good at. Um, So all of those things really pointed towards multifamily. And I think the icing on the cake was um, learning about the bonus depreciation and the ability to um, offset the income that I had. And, you know, just this week, I got, um, you know, pretty sizable uh, refund from the IRS by taking some of the losses I had last year, but quote unquote paper losses from bonus depreciation, um, and then and then setting all those against actually income I earned in 2015 when I was working on Wall Street. So it's pretty interesting to see that all come through, and I'll take those funds and redeploy them into other investments, and you know really just try to be uh, minimize taxes. You, are you able to? So you're able to apply those K one law. Well, what were they K one or no? Those were all K one losses that I took against 2015 W two income. So are you? You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to take K one against W two. Uh, yes, if you if you qualify as a real estate professional, which which I do. 
Got it. But even though you weren't a real estate professional then? Uh, that's correct. Oh, so that's, that's why I love doing the podcast for many other reasons as well. But I learned stuff. This I did not know. Well, that's that's humongous right there. And I'm not a tax professional. I to give that disclaimer and so forth. Ask your CPA. Um, but you know that that was my situation. It worked. So are you saying that the ability to depreciate income played in, I guess, the tax treatment played largely into the decision to do multifamily? Yes, um, it, it, it definitely was a catalyst for that. I remember talking with my dad and he's like, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, here's an, here I could actually pivot my whole career if I can figure this out. If I can go buy some apartment buildings, able to offset uh, my W-2 income. And if it works and I'm successful at it, I've just created a new career for myself and, and, it, and it worked. About how did you even know about multifamily? Number one and number two, why not? Uh, you know, why not flex industrial? Why not retail? You know, I mean, did you know sure. something? How did you single in? Yeah, so um, I found out about multifamily. I thought Blackstone and some other large groups owned every apartment building, and I didn't realize that you know individuals and and groups of people could own them. And a friend of mine who I was talking with at a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese was telling me that he had transitioned to multifamily and he was telling me all about it. And I was like, wow, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And he goes, Hey, attend this event. You know, it was the following week. And so I went and was like, this is exactly if this tax box actually box actually checks, then um, this makes all the sense in the world. And so I'd been looking for a number of years, you know, those decision points of changing jobs that kind of had been, you know, brewing in the background for many years. And so when I finally found multifamily, I was like, this is it. And I really jumped all over it. You know, I've never, I've never uh, had a, I've never podcasted anybody who's one of their major life inflection points started at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing story. You know, that's where we used to go for my birthday party. It was a happy place, and you know, to to tell that story, and you know, that that uh, gentleman has been super supportive. He's invested in every deal that I've syndicated. So, you know, I'm thankful to him, and it's been great. I got it. okay, and then you don't have partners in life changing capital. Is that correct? That's correct. I do have a, a business partner that um, that that I do all my deals with, though. Oh, you do? And he's, uh, his name is Jeff and he's out in California. Super great guy. Got it. Hey, Street Smart listeners. I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305 467 5909. You'll be glad you did. Well, I'm in California. What part of California is he in? He's outside of LA. Okay. Yeah. I'm way up north. So what was getting your first deal like? You know, what was it like raising the money and, you know, do you still own it and how's it doing and all that? I think it's, yeah, for sure. timing was impeccable, by the way. 
Um, yeah, so we were looking for deals for a while. Um, I think we looked at 100, 200 deals before we found our first one. You know, we were kind of honing in our criteria, making sure we understood the markets. And you know, kind of funny story is is there was we were looking at. We knew we wanted to focus on the Texas Triangle, and I hadn't been to San Antonio. I live in Houston. We spent a lot of time in Dallas, and was like, hey, there's a deal in San Antonio. Why don't I just drive, go see it, see the area? And when I saw this deal, I was like, we need to buy this. We, I loved everything about it. It was 88% single story. You know, you turn off the highway and along that highway, there's an olive garden, a red lobster, there's a, a Home Depot and you know, just a lot of big box retail. And, you know, just looked like a lot of capital had been invested in that area. I um, mean, it was gentrifying. And then you have this, you know, really unique, um, low density property. And so I remember texting Jeff and saying, Hey, we got to buy this thing. And so we bid on it. And unfortunately, we didn't win it. And uh, you know, we felt where we bid was the most that we could go. And someone was awarded the deal, and that was in December of 2019. And then COVID happened in 2020, um, and effectively, I you know ran into the broker uh, like kind of June timeframe, so like six, seven months later. I was like, hey, whatever happened to that deal? He's like, you know what? Just fell out of contract. I was like, we want it, and uh, we, you know, that evening we sent in a, an updated offer, and he vouched for us and said, "Hey, these guys will close it." And sure enough, you know, sixty days later, we closed on the property, and so that deal was just an incredible experience for us. Um, in many ways, it was owned um, by one gentleman for twenty-two years who lived in California. So out of state owner, and um, you know we we cut expenses by almost forty percent at the property. We increased NOI. I think it was like one hundred fifty percent NOI increase um, during our whole period, and we just closed on that deal a month and a half ago. We sold it, and so it was a two point three five x return for our investors. And uh, so net to them, so if you invested one hundred thousand dollars into the deal, you got two hundred thirty five thousand dollars back. So it was uh, it was an incredible. Incredible ride. We had distributed 10% monthly to our investors on that deal uh, during our hold period and just had a great team in place. And you know, the, the renovations and rehabs that we did were very tasteful. The residents were willing to pay for them. Um, we took rents in place for 807. When we exited, we were getting $1,200. So, you know, huge, huge rent increases and, you know, just a huge, we partnered with a church down the street and, you know, did a lot of resident outreach events for the community. So it was just a win-win all around. Uh, bonus to staff, and you know, so they were happy. They stayed through the whole sales process. So it was just just a good outcome for everybody. First of all, how how much did you put in per unit in in renovation, and when was the building built? Uh, it was built in 1966 slash 69. It was a two two site property that uh, in the middle of it was a was a elementary school. Um, we put in. Let's see. You know, total capex into the property was about three or four thousand dollars per unit. Got it. So I guess that what I'm hearing is the the previous owner, even though he was in California, kept them pretty current. If they only needed three to four grand, is is that? I mean. Yeah, I mean the the things that we did, um, we didn't. You know, we touched a number of units, but I think ten to fifteen units on the interiors. The rest 
um, you know, didn't need much work and people were renewed. The average resident had lived there for four years when we bought the property. And then it became five years when we sold it because they most of the residents stayed. They really liked living there. So we upgraded the units that were in rough shape and we changed out the leasing office. We put, um, you know, we painted the exterior. So I think CapEx total was three or 400,000. So 300,000 is around 4,000 4, a unit. So, you know, being that it was your first deal, you, you described its location. You said, well, you know, we've got to, we have to buy this deal, right? So I heard real like passion for that. What specifically was it? Was it that you think it was just priced at the right amount and there was super low hanging fruit because of the low rents? Or what was it that said, this is a great deal we have to buy? You know, there was a there was a number of things. Okay, location. I like that it was next to schools. Um, I like that the resident base was sticky and they lived there a long time. I like that I could truly see the leasing office could look way better than this. There was a torn chair. You know, the property just was a brown. You know, could paint it. There was no website. They weren't on Facebook. You know, just just you know, easy things to fix. And they were all the units were 100% classic. They hadn't been touched. The owner liked to keep things, what I say, in classic car condition. So if the stove uh, broke, instead of replacing it, you know, it's a 30, 40 year old stove, he would go in and find the, the part that might cost three or $400 and get that part and repair the stove instead of just throw it away and buy a new one. So, um, you know, those types of things were, were, uh, you know, just a lot of low hanging fruit and something that we could see as a very, very solid bones, very strong, solid brick construction. It's actually owned by a, a concrete cement making company. And so the construction of it and the foundation was very strong. So we were able to just go in and, you know, make, make it look a lot different at pergolas and, and grills and, and, uh, pet stations and um, garden beds and, and cedar wraps. So, you know, just, just cosmetic things, but the, the, the solidness of the structure was, was fantastic. And you said it's an escrow? No, it closed a no, month and a half ago. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, got sold it. it. So 20 months and that was our whole period. I see. Have your, the remainder of your deals, I think you're in, oh gosh, I don't know. You could tell me it looks like eight to 10, something like that. What what has been the, and inevitably each one's different, but have they been similar where there's just a ton of value add and, and you just see meat on the bone or what's been the what's been the common thread if there is one? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a value add component of, hey, we think we can run this better. And we see a trend in terms of, you know, what things are trading for. And we think this is good value. We like, um, you know, the opportunity here to increase the rents because other comps are getting it. So it's been, it's been one of those stories. And we like how, you know, income is and we think that we can take it higher and manage and manage the property tighter. So. Those are generally been the themes of the stuff that we bought. Have you stubbed your toe on any of these deals where you're like, oh my God, you know, we're never going to do that again? Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot, uh, most of it has been around property management. Um, you know, we, at one of our properties, we've had, we fired two property managers. And so, you know, we, we are very hands on on the asset management side. So actually have a, call for one of our properties in 20 minutes. And so we, we spend um, a lot of time digging into the numbers, visiting the property. Um, we had kind of a turnaround situation at one of our properties. And, um, you know, I went there 
every Friday, the entire day, you know, like nine to five um, for two and a half months <laughs> to make sure that that property got turned around. So, you know, we definitely had challenges. I mean, I think if anyone tells you they don't have challenges in real estate, they're lying to you and you shouldn't invest with them um, or challenges in life. It's like, do you know anybody that's perfect? No. Do you know anybody that has no marriage problems or whatever? It's just, you know, there's no way. So um, same thing in real estate. It's, it's, it's something where, you know, you need to, to support the sponsors that, you know, are going to be able to problem solve because there's inevitably, you know, take up 150 unit property of 150 different families and all of them have, you know, some of them are great, some of them have issues, and it just multiplied. And you have to go out there and, and solve solve the issues at the property with the residents and so forth. So, are you going to say you won't believe me if I tell you I have no problems in my marriage? Uh, yes, I would <laughs> <laughs> say that's amazing. Good for you, but I'm sure at some point there's been people have gone sideways. I hear you. You know what? I'm an I married an amazing, amazing woman, and, and I, I, I'm not amazing. I'm a high maintenance, terrible person, but I've been able to appreciate how amazing she is. So it's weird. It's a, but I mean, I I'm not going to tell you. It, my business life has been like that. Then sure. I've been lying through my teeth, man. I, it's been up, down, sideways. Front flips, back flips, you know, miserable, great, et cetera, et cetera. But do you have a sense? Um, you know, you guys have made some major, major, you know, progress in a quick period of time. But yet, that being said, the market's changed dramatically in the last six months. How does what's happened in the last six months and what is currently happening inform your view for what you guys are going to be doing in the next, you know, six to 12 slash 24 months? Yeah, we were very focused on you know trimming expenses where possible, and very focused on eking out every dollar income possible, collecting all delinquency. And we did need to increase occupancy at one of our properties, so we cut rents um, before we felt like other people were going to cut rents. And you know we got the property filled up with better tenants um, that can pay. So you know that is just us trying to think proactively. And we do see a softening coming. Um, you know, rent growth can't grow double digits forever. So, um, you know, recession in my mind means softer rent. So, um, so we've, we've actually been in our mind, it's just getting our assets always ready if we need to sell, like they're primed and, and look good to sell. So, um, that, that's kind of how we operate so that, um, we're ready at a moment's notice. I understand. Are you seeing, before I ask this question, you've been successful reducing expenses. And I guess what have been the biggest line items where you see that, you know, there's opportunity to, to get efficient? Like where are you seeing that there's always a room to cut X? You know, I, I think that uh, in on the utility side, if people haven't done water savings, um, you know, we're digging through and finding leaks, trying to minimize those. You know, payroll. You know, we've we've been trying to to rationalize payroll and say, you know, do we really need? Um, two people inside. We have one manager that's like, you know, I always had to oversee this person and I just felt like I was doing double work. So um, she's saying, hey, we're above, we're 96% leased. You know, my workload is now decreasing and there's less people coming in for tours because the occupancy is much higher. So, you know, we don't need to hire somebody. So, you know, significant savings there. 
but you know, just really trying to say, okay, well, here's a bid from a contractor. Go back and get four hundred dollars off. Um, you know, see what if they can do better here or there. So you know, just been really micro around those expenses. I guess uh, rolling your sleeves up and, and doing it the old-fashioned way. That's exactly it. I mean, it's it's line by line, you know, item by item that comes up. Got it. And what 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 role do you play versus your partner? And is your partner in your, your business partner is does he do other stuff outside of outside of life changing capital, or does is he all in on life changing capital to like? What? Yeah. So. He- yeah, for sure. He has he has his his own own company, and you know the company names are 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 you know we kind of we work together pretty much for everything. Um, but in terms of roles, he has been very strong. He PE background, investment banking background, so it's very strong on underwriting. So he typically will take the lead on underwriting, um, working with insurance and um, financing. And then I'll take the lead on investor relations, on-site management relations. So you know, working with the staff because I'm here, I spend time at the properties, um, going through rehabs and and um, picking out and buying materials. Actually, we buy a lot of our own rehab materials, appliances, and so forth because we finally get better pricing. So that's one way that we save money. And so both of us are on the calls and really strategizing. And I really appreciate his viewpoints. I mean, it's it's been we've been through a lot, but um, I think what we've built is a relationship of respect. And um, you know, it's it's been it's been very helpful. Um, even times that are that are challenging, it's we're always you know paddling in the same direction, which is great. When you say you've been through a lot, what does that mean? Uh, you know, just we've looked at 600 deals and we've we've won three. So that's that's 597 deals where we spent a lot of time and nothing came from it. So nothing in terms of you know a deal that was done. So you know that's frustrating. Um, that's probably one of our biggest frustrations. But um, you know we've had assets that have, have performed phenomenally well, and others where we've needed to roll up our sleeves and you know triple down in times of our time investment. But you no, know, each time it's been like, how are we gonna you know, do the work on this together and how are we going to get out of it together? Sarah, you're saying you have three properties currently, including the one that, well, you just sold one. So how many? Do you guys- sold. So him and I have two together and then I have two on my own with, with some other partners. And then wow. I've invested passively in 15 other deals. Oh, you have. That's very interesting. And what would you say you've learned, I guess, through the passive investing part of what you do? And you know, what, what, how, how do you vet operators and what do you avoid? And you know, what would you do in the future? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, just mention this because it's, it's uh, you know, having transition, not knowing anything about real estate um, to a full-time multifamily person investing in, you know, deploying a fair amount of capital, I created a 25 questions every passive investor should ask. And so just a a due diligence and kind of throughout that is true stories of things I've experienced as I've vetted deals. So that may be helpful to your your listeners. That's just on my website, lifechangingcapital.com. But some of those things are really the first one is like if you don't trust the sponsor, run, you know, don't walk. So, you know, there's so much that goes into these deals and people need to be on top of it. So if the sponsor thinks that, hey, we're just going to turn it over to the property management company and let them run the deal, it's like, you know, the chances of success are, you know, I'd, I'd bet against 
against the deal versus betting for the deal at that point. So, you know, you really need to be hands on. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing that's really important. And do they have, have they, have they had business acumen? Have they worked in finance? Have they worked on Wall Street? Um, have they run businesses? Because, you know, this is, this is, it's not a game. I mean, this is real money and you have to really be on top of these assets. And so those are the things that I personally look for. And then diving into the deal, there's a whole host of, of things that I look at. Are there, how, how many passive deals are you in approximately? Uh, 20. And are those with 20 different sponsors? Yes. Wow. And are they all multifamily? They are all multifamily. I see. So how, I see a lot, you know, and some of those have exited. So it's probably down a few, but. How many of those with. would you reinvest with? Probably one or two. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. And, and, and you, you may have already answered the question as to why, but I can't help but asking why. Because, I, you know, I look at the reports that I'm getting sent and these people clearly don't know what they're doing. They're not on top of things. You know, they're slow to respond. Their K-1s aren't on time. You know, I think that those are the things that, that are kind of pet peeves for me. You know, a lot of it has been they've gotten lucky because of cap rate compression versus true operational outperformance. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well. Uh, this would be more offline than online, but I'm a very active limited partner as well. And uh, I am not in 20, but I'm probably in a dozen. And um, I would invest in more than, I would re-up on more than two. Okay. Uh, but would it be more than five or six? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but I share your sensibility around that. And I find it candidly to be a very nerve wracking process to be a limited partner. Very nerve wracking. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. It's like, you know, everything, it's like the courting when they're going through the webinar, when you're getting signed up and then, you know, they're off to the next, next deal. And it's like, guys, you know, the house is burning. Why aren't you taking care of it? So, you know, that's, that's frustrating. Oh my God. Yeah. You're, you're describing uh, one, one of the guys I'm involved with who, who I've gotten to know. I very much like him. I trust him. But yeah, I mean, a couple of deals I'm in are not going as planned. And yet I, I'm, you know, being invited on webinars for the next deal and it drives me insane. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that hurts the most, right? So you guys, you know, you know, or them touting their, their amazing returns. And it's like, you haven't distributed in a year. You know, like, what are you talking about? Right. So. Yeah. All the above. So, well, that that's. Uh, I'm glad I asked the question, and that's very, uh, very interesting. When, when did you start doing that? By the way, uh, in 2019. So, June 2019, I made my first investment. Got it. Okay. And then uh, on the do on the deals that you're doing, Ryan, how are you approaching debt? So, what I like to do is look at what is the business plan for the asset and match the debt with that. So. For instance, the deal that we sold, we didn't know how long we would hold the asset, but we wanted flexibility. So we did a small balance loan on that agency loan. And that's our preference to do agency. Uh, here, 
we looked at a, a yield maintenance. You got a lower rate for, for in exchange for the yield maintenance. But in our modeling, when we looked at if we exited after two, three, four, five, six years, and we looked at each one of those scenarios versus a step-down prepay where you pay a higher rate for that exit flexibility. In each scenario, I think before year seven, if you exited, it was better to do a prepayment penalty um, despite the higher rate. And we're glad we did that because that allowed us to exit early. Um, if we had done yield maintenance, we would not have been able to exit at the time that we exited. So, um, you know, things like that is is what we we do. We say we're very data driven, and that really helped us with um, the execution of our business plan at that asset. I see, and and you know, going back, this is a nonlinear question, but um, piggybacking on yours and my mutual experiences as LPs, what what do you? Th- think, um, and, and, and you've got a, a wonderful vantage point on this that I don't have because you're an operator. What do you see the, the bigger mistakes other operators make and are making? I think the big one is not being on top of the asset. Uh, two is buying too many deals. Um, you know, kind of what you mentioned, they're on to the next deal. And, you know, there was, there was one and, and unfortunately I have to go in a few minutes, but, um, you know, it's pretty sad. So this, this gentleman had, you know, come to new market, bought up, you know, one of the most active buyers. And and I'm just, I told my partner, I'm like, either he's the smartest guy in the room or, you know, he's going to blow up. And so just the other day, there was a murder at his property. The mayor came with a team of people and said, if things don't change in one week, you know, we're filing a lawsuit and came with spray paint cans and spray painted doors saying like, this is uninhabitable. This needs to be fixed. The steps need to be fixed. These railings, the pool needs to be cleaned and drained and, and so forth. And I was just like, yep, you know, he's, he's not gonna, he's not the smartest guy in the room. And, you know, it's, it's like for me, when things don't make sense, cause I've seen it time and time again, just because someone's winning deals doesn't mean that it's going to work out. Um, it just means that they're overpaying and sometimes they don't know what they're doing. So, um, just be careful of that. All right. How much time do we have? Two minutes. Two minutes. All right. What, what's the most uh, valuable lesson you think you've learned? In multifamily, no one cares about your deal more than you do. So what that means is if you're going and you're, you know, oh, the PM said this and you're like struggling to understand the rationale and you're, you know, banking everything on the PM thinks this can happen or that. It's like, if you don't believe it and you don't buy it, you're the one that's going to bear the risk and reward of that decision. And so for us, you know, whether we've grown more confident or whether we just realize that, you know, property managers, you know, we trust our own decision first. I mean, candidly. So, and at the end of the day, it's investors that are investing with us for our decisions and for us managing the deals. So I think that's something that, you know, we saw the property managers and the regionals as experts. You know, this is what they've done for 30 years. And we're like, just because we've only done it for one, two, or three, um, doesn't mean that we don't know more or we don't have a, a different, you know, strategy that would be successful. So I think that's that's one thing that that we've learned. Um, and that can, you know, pretty much when we ask for a pro forma for a property manager, it's like after we won the deal because we feel very confident in our numbers and and what we've experienced and how we've run assets versus you know how someone else is going to put numbers down. Last, all right, last question in fifteen, however many seconds. You yeah, can, sure, Herman. How did you meet your partner? 
Um, I met him at a multifamily group a meetup and we just connected because of similar backgrounds. Uh, we both went to NYU at different times, uh, both worked on Wall Street and both really had um, you know, similar belief system, similar goals, um, and have just just gotten along really, really well. It's been such a blessing to have someone, you know, I couldn't imagine doing this myself. <laughs> you know, having having uh, someone to 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 go through it with has been has been awesome. Got it. All right. How would one uh, get a hold of you if they were so inclined? Sure. You can go to lifechangingcapital.com and there, there's the 25 questions every investor should ask, as well as a whole bunch of other resources. And you can book a time or email me and we'd love to connect with you. Fantastic. Ryan, very much appreciate it and look forward to circling back at some point and doing this again with you. Thank you so much, Roger. Really appreciate your time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs> 